Hi, I'm Janine, and you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. On today's show, I'm chatting with author Chloe Benjamin about her book, The Immortalists. Entertainment Weekly calls this 2018's first must-read. It's my pleasure to welcome to this week's show author Chloe Benjamin. Hello, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. You know, I heard about this book and I thought it was so intriguing. First, let's get into some backstory. What led you to write this book, The Immortalists? Well, I think that it it really comes out of my own neuroses, if I'm being honest. <laughs> it, it comes out of my uh, anxiety about uncertainty and the unknown. And of course, those things are so much a part of our life. Uh, on this yeah, earth. Yes. So, Excuse uh, me for laughing because I, I was relating. Oh, <laughs> when yes. You, you said neuroses. <laughs> no, I, I was I like, assume. oh, yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, she's my people. Yeah. Yes, I you mean, got it. We, we are, uh, you know, we are people who all think about death in, in some capacity, I think, and some of us are better at suppressing that knowledge of the eventual than others, and I'm probably in, in very much in the others category. Mm-hmm. So um, I wanted to explore this question in the context of a family and look at the way that each of these family members, the four siblings who the book follows, wrestled differently with their mortality. Now, when you decided to write this, did you stay strong to your focus or there's some people that are thinking, you know, wait, what are you doing, Chloe? <laughs> um, probably a little bit of both. I mm-hmm. mean, I think writing a novel is a scary, big undertaking and there's always a bit of what are you doing, Chloe? Yes. Uh, but I, I always had a, a lot of faith in this project from the start, I felt a kind of momentum and power in it that I haven't experienced with anything I've written before. So that helped me to do my best to silence the doubt and and keep going, despite the fact that uh, it, was a, it was a hard book to write. You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm listening to you, and I like to write as well. And a lot of times we just have to push forward. And the theme of my show is get the funk out. And a lot of times we go through these ups and downs personally, creatively, professionally, whatever. And you just have to believe in your vision. I think so. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, nobody is going to have as much faith in the project as you do, hopefully. And uh, and you need that faith in order to keep going. Nobody is, you know, cracking the whip saying, you must write this book, keep going. It, it right. really is a self-motivated thing for most of us. So uh, you have to have that faith. How did you choose this time period and the location, San Francisco? Uh, well, the the book is set over about 50 years, and so it covers a, a few different historical moments and locations. The first section takes place in San Francisco, and uh, it takes place at the late 70s, early 80s, which is when the gay community is is really fighting for its rights in San Francisco and also eventually the dawn of the AIDS crisis. Um, I'm from San Francisco myself, and Mm -hmm. I have some uh, familial similarities with with that section. But I also am really passionate about gay rights, and uh, I wanted to explore that moment in my native city's life, which which is so heartbreaking. Oh, it absolutely is. I actually went to school with Allison Gertz. Do you know that name? She was, um, she passed away from AIDS. Yeah, she was on the cover of People magazine. Mm. It was so tragic, but oh, she was wow. part of a big movement to educate teens. So let's touch mm. on the characters. So Clara, h- how did you come up with these different characters? 
Well, each one was its own process. I got to know them individually, almost like getting to know, uh, you know, kids. Um, Clara, I always knew would be a magician. That was just part of my initial idea of her. And she's a bit of a nomad. She travels the country doing her show. And, um, you know, magic was not something that I have any personal background in, but I have always loved and participated in the performing arts. Mm -hmm. Not so much now, but when I was younger, I was a dancer and I was also involved in theater. Um, So I could relate to that sense of the thrill and the risk and the intimacy that happens when you are performing in front of a live audience. I also thought it was really intriguing how, um, talking about Gertie and Saul, uh, the Jewish background, How is why was that so important to you? Well, I grew up with two religious uh, streams in my family. My mom's side of the family is Episcopalian, and my dad's side is Jewish. Mm-hmm. And although my dad himself is really more of an atheist, when he remarried my stepmom after my parents divorced, um, my stepmom really brought Judaism into our home. She is a Jewish spiritual director and very involved with the Jewish community in San Francisco. So I think being, like both having that family link to Judaism, but also being a bit of an outsider, made me feel really curious about it and really fascinated. I, I think it's just such a powerful novel because it's you've got all these different characters. And um, how, how have you changed as a result of writing this book? Oh, I love that question. I think I've, I think I've changed a lot from getting to know each of these characters. And I, I know that can sound a little bit pretentious, like, you know, pretending they're real people, but they re- they feel very vivid to me, and I feel like they've each taught me something. I really do. And studying each of the time periods and each of their professions has impacted me. I, I can speak, for instance, about the fourth section of the book, Varya, the eldest child, is a scientific researcher who works with primates. And uh, I was profoundly affected by the research that I did about primate research and uh, and just, just really um, pained by what I learned. And so I've become really passionate about primate sanctuaries, which are places where primates can live out their lives without human intervention. They're not zoos. They don't have people visiting. They, they create a safe space for primates to live out their lives, especially those who have been in research or used in entertainment. Um, so that's just one example of something that, you know, I've, I've really carried with me. I was reading um, in the literature that came along with the book, uh, you talk about Joan Didion, because um, you were talking about the power of narrative. Is that one of your big, um, you know, as far as writing, you know, influences? Um, I, I love Joan Didion. I don't know that I've read enough of her to be able to say that she's one of my major influences, but mm-hmm. I think she's absolutely brilliant. Yes. Uh, I think that the people that I count as influences, um, I mean, my favorite writer of all time is Alice Munro, and I, I love how she manages to fit entire lifetimes into the space of a story. And I think that has influenced my interest in following characters over many years. Um, I love Nabokov. I, I was a huge reader of his work as a younger person. Uh, I read a lot of short story writers, um, Laurie Moore, um, Lizzie Packer, George Saunders, Raymond Carver. Um, There's a lot of books that I grew up reading that I think have had a lasting effect on me too. The sort of YA of the 90s from Philip Pullman to uh, books like A Wrinkle in Time and The Giver. So I think there are a lot of things in in my bloodstream as I wrote this book. 
by the way, when you touched on earlier that um, you're talking about creating these characters and, you know, as a writer, I think you end up feeling like these characters are alive in some sense. I mean, that's how you you have them grow on the page is you have to understand them completely. Yeah, I think I think that's true. And um, now that they are really their own people kind of going off into the world, mm-hmm. in some ways it makes them feel even more real because I see them impacting other people. And that's one of the most special things is when people feel connected to these characters too and when they kind of act in other people's lives. Um, so it's, it's something that, I, that I'm really grateful for when people share with me. How did you decide to include mental illness as an important part of the novel? Hmm. Well, I'm somebody who's always struggled with anxiety, and that's just inextricable from the way that I see the world and mm-hmm. experience it. Um, so I guess I see different forms of mental illness, and certainly there's examples of mental illness in the book that are much more severe, but uh, but I, I think that we all have um, we all have ways of coping emotionally with the demands of this world. And not certainly not saying that everyone suffers from mental illness, but I guess I think of it as being more a part of the fabric of our lives than we might give it credit for. And and I also don't see people as defined by it. So I think even characters in the book who struggle with uh, with mental illness in some form or another, that's one aspect of them. But they're but they're more than that. It's interesting. Um, I had this whole conversation with my younger daughter about anxiety, and she said, is it normal to be, you know, feel this way and that way? And I said, absolutely. You know, you go through different phases of your life, and the most important thing is to open up and share what's going on in your life, what, how you're feeling. Yeah, I think that's so true, and I think it's important that that uh, the kids know that. You know, this we live in a culture that sometimes tells us to repress those kinds of emotions or that they're shameful or not normal and Mm -hmm. these are really normal i mean how in the world do you you know cope with some of these big questions i i don't think that um you know as much as the book critiques this insatiable desire for knowledge i don't necessarily think that ignorance or blocking it out is the right way to go either right right so um i have a couple other questions before we wrap up so there's a woman who tells the gold children uh, their death dates, and it turns out um, she belongs to the, is it Romani people or the gypsies? Mm-hmm. Yes. How did you decide to make that part of your book? And are these, these people are, are part, they live in the United States? Yeah, many of them do. Um, the Romani are an ethnic people who uh, originated fortune telling, or, well, I guess I, shouldn't say with certainty that they were the very first ones to do it, but okay. it's become their way of life, uh, and they've told stories for centuries. They are a historically oppressed group, originated in India and traveled into Europe, and uh, certainly some live in the United States, and they were uh, really persecuted during the Holocaust, but really throughout history as a group that was dirty or... Um, witchy or uh, out to get your money, and I think we still see that characterization of gypsies, which is the more colloquial and kind of derogatory term for the Romani people. 
Um, so I, I didn't know a lot about them before I started the book, but I knew that I wanted there to be a fortune teller in the novel. And the more I researched fortune telling, the more I realized it really is a Romani practice. I want to mention a couple things. Your first novel was Anatomy of Dreams. Could you talk about that just briefly? Yeah, my first novel came out in 2014, um, and that book follows a group of uh, researchers who are looking at the potential of lucid dreaming to treat really dangerous sleep disorders. And lucid dreaming is knowing that you're dreaming while you're dreaming. Wow. So it has that little bit of science, a little bit of a speculative mm-hmm. edge. Um, like The Immortalist, there's kind of a, a curiosity about the unknown uh, and, a, and a desire to hack it, uh, for better or worse. I just want to give the listeners a quick take. Um, the whole premise is, if you knew the date of your death, how would you live your life? This is in The Immortalist. It's 1969, New York City's Lower East Side, and the word has spread the arrival of a traveling psychic who claims to be able to tell anyone the day they will die. Would you want to know the day you would die? I don't know if I would. Um, no, I don't think I would. <laughs> I wouldn't either. You, you wouldn't either? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's a double-edged sword. If you don't like what you hear, it's really bad news. Oh, I know. I was bad enough knowing, you know, like when I had, I was pregnant, like, Okay, I gotta hurry up and do this. I gotta hurry up and do yeah. that. You know? um, okay, so I know we have to wrap. Where can people find out more about you? I am available online. My website is chloebenjaminbooks.com, C H L O E, Benjamin, like the boy's name, books. And then I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Chloe K. Benjamin, K as in kite. And you are live Saturday, January 13th at Roman's Bookstore, 3 o'clock. I hear. Yes, yes, I sure am. I really hope that uh, that people can come out. I think it's going to be a super fun event. Perfect. That's Pasadena, 3 o'clock on Saturday, January 13th. And I'm sure your full schedule is up on your website as well. It is, absolutely. So that has the address and the date. And uh, if folks are listening to this from uh, other places or they're going to be around the country, there's also a lot of other dates uh, around the nation. Perfect. Chloe, thank you so much for calling to the show. Congratulations on your book. Thank you so much for your time. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. That was Chloe Benjamin talking about her latest novel, The Immortalist. Again, she'll be at uh, Roman's Bookstore in Pasadena, Saturday, January 13th at 3 o'clock. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine. This is Get the Funk Out. If you want to follow the show, I am on Twitter at moms underscore rock. That's M-O-M-Z underscore rock. And the show blog Get the funk out show dot org.